Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry. Uh, Barry, interestingly enough, this will be the last episode that will be uh, listened to by our uh, supporters, fans, and uh, groupies. We have groupies, I think, Barry. Before Lutz, uh, before the CWF Legends Fan Fest, Barry, for those who, for whatever reason, have waited until the last damn minute and are like on the fence, should I go? Should, should, like the Clash said, should I stay or should I go? So, Barry, why don't you give me information as to if they're trying to decide last minute, you son of a bitch, why haven't you done it sooner? Give them the intel, Barry. Absolutely. So it's coming up June the 4th. It takes place in Lutz, Florida, which is a suburb of Tansa. Of Tansa? Tansa? Yeah, I've been to Tansa before. It's very it's nice. Been a, it's been a tough day. And uh, it's taking place. Starts at 11 o'clock. We're doing our cup of coffee, which is where Medusa, maybe you know her as the Lunder Blaze, sits around with a small group of fans, does kind of a Q&A deal. She's never done an event like this before, so we're kind of excited about that. Our headliners are Demolition. It's Axe and Smash. You may also know them as the Mass Superstar, Crusher Khrushchev, a host of other gimmicks. They will be hosting the two-hour Q&A and catered dinner. Jeff, we're still working on the menu, apparently, since the last time we talked. Now, you, you had told me that Penzer, for the entire fan fest, everyone that's going to the dinner was going to get a, uh, a New York strip steak. Is that not true? Cooked to order, yes. Yes, so yes. That, that's, that was my understanding, so we will have to talk to David Penzer about that. Yeah, you're getting Yukon Gold Smashed Potatoes. Nice, uh, nice. To go with it, and uh, yeah, and a, and a vegetable of choice. So yeah, A1 to- steak sauce. <laughs> no ketchup, but A1, yeah. absolutely. Who wants to butcher a steak with it? Your ketchup, you know. So if you're looking to buy tickets for this wonderful fan fest, and we got to say, the highlight of this, the wrestling is a great component, but it really is uh, the brothership getting together. Friends get to see friends. I haven't seen Jeff since uh, November, the last event. You know, it's the fact that we all get to hang out for a few days and be kids again is really what I think the draw is for a lot of people, including myself. I, I absolutely love it. Uh, it gives us a great opportunity to spend some time and to, to be like we're like 12 years old again. So I'm very excited about that. You can get tickets by going to Eventbrite, type in CWF Legends Fan Fest number eight. You can also contact me personally. There is a Facebook group, CWF Legends Fan Fest. You can also go into the Breaking Kayfabe group, CWF Archives. There's a million ways to get tickets currently, but make your plans to be there. It is going to be a lot of fun, Jeff. And Kevin Sullivan joining us now. How excited Barry, is that? L- Barry loves when you contact him personally. <laughs> Barry, Barry, don't you don't you love when uh, certain people contact you uh, incessantly uh, on a personal level, and then you're like, oh, I guess you fucking contacted me again. Another story for another time. Uh, you mentioned Sully going to be there. Uh, Barry, are there not some other people that during the day will be making an appearance? Yeah, there's uh, there's several people. Uh, Sully is there. Alundra, Bra- Alundra Blaze, uh, Medusa, Leilani Kai will be there. Who else am I forgetting, Jeff? Glacier. Glacier, our old friend Glacier. I And I apologize, too. I uh, Yeah, uh, Glacier will be there. And what a what a tremendous guy Ray is as well. We had him on the show about a month, six weeks ago. The nicest guy. And, uh, you know, he's so grateful that he's going to be on the show. He's like, he's basically saying, I'm humbled that you would even ask. And I'm like thinking, you know, dude, like, you know, I'm worth, we're thrilled that you'll do this and work with us. So Glacier will be there. We're going to have some surprises. You know, I don't, I don't want to tell you any more, uh, but, you know, Bill Alfonso could be there. We don't know who else will be there, but uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I will say that the, Barry's right. The best part is just interacting with your friends. And, yes. you know, the last few fan fests we've had, you know, I, I bring my wife, Kim. I know Frankie Seacrest brings his wife, Jana. Uh, I think Chris Z brought his kids last time. And I think his wife is coming down uh, with him on this occasion. I think I, I read that somewhere. And boy, do I have questions for her. But again, another subject for another time. But, you know, the great part is, is that every fan fest I've been to, every guy that I uh, that was in the business that I've talked to has said to me, and this is not something they're they're saying for Barry's benefit. They've come up and just told me, "Well, I, I've never been to some something like this before," you know. And, and you know, this uh, makes me feel so comfortable, and they want to hang out. You know, uh, the last man fest. I know Robert Gibson was sitting outside the hotel with a bunch of uh, the our group, uh, just drinking a beer and and shooting the shit with them. I mean, you know, what other what other uh, a fan fest do you go to? 
where you have the opportunity to sit outside and uh, drink a beer with somebody. No. And this is all because I'm going to say it. I'm not blowing smoke up his ass. This is because of the hard work that Barry Rose puts into this, you know. And so uh, much uh, credit to you, Barry, for for this and and for the uh, the support, uh, <clears throat> whatever it is, uh, that you get from David Penzer. Uh, you know, you guys put on this thing and it, you've made it this. Uh, I don't want to say niche because that minimalizes it. But this is something that not every other fan fest where you're going through and it's like, yeah, here's my picture. Thank you. Give me 10 bucks or, or 20 bucks or whatever. Uh, yeah, let me shake your hand, take a selfie, goodbye, see you later. That's what you get from a lot of fan fests. That's not what you get from the CWF Legends Fan Fest. So that being said, and by the way, Barry, allow me just to say that Jason Ward, speaking about personally messaging people, reached out to me today. We were chit-chatting on Messenger, and he mentioned how excited he was to be going there. Uh, he's flying in from, I believe, the Portland area. Hasn't flown, I think he said, since 1997, 1998. Uh, he's coming down, and he said, talk about blowing smoke up someone's ass, Barry, that as much as he's looking forward to seeing Medusa, uh, Crusher Khrushchev, the mass superstar, Kevin Sullivan, he wants to meet Barry Rose and Jeff Bodron. That's kind of nice, isn't it, Bear? That is. That's, and that's, that's really nice, too. And that's, you know, that, that was kind of what we got from the first one, too. You know, people come up and they're, can we, can we grab a photo with you and stuff, which is really so flattering and so nice. And, but, you know, you bring up a really good point. I just want to expound on this for the next 40 minutes or so, but you bring up a point about uh, the ideals behind the fan fest. And if, if you haven't heard this before, then certainly indulge me as I go on a bit of a rant in some ways, and it really won't be a rant, but this idea was born with the fact that I was so, I guess, disillusioned with all with a lot of other fan fests and uh and i went to one and i'm going to take a shot at this guy uh, uh -oh. because yeah why not so i went to one last august down in the carolinas and it was gigantic there's more talent there than you can shake a stick at they must have had 20 headliners but there was probably 50 pieces of talent and here's the deal you have to pay for each and each and every one of those talents and when I had a quick phone, when I had a quick conversation, it wasn't a phone call, it was in person with the guy running the event. He didn't stop counting the money as we were talking. And I found, and he was counting up large stacks of money. He's basically stuck himself in the office the entire time, counting his large stacks of money. Also puts himself over, did like something uh, where he did an angle with somebody. And uh, it just, it, it appeared that this event was all about how much money he could get and how much he could put himself over. And he did. He put himself over tremendously. And I, I mentioned this to a few people that were there. My fan fest and this fan fest, uh, CWF Legends, completely different. You pay one price. It gets you all the photos and autographs that you need. But the idea is we don't do the cattle call. We don't make you stand in line to meet somebody for 30 minutes or an hour like I saw last summer. You can walk right up to these guys, and the idea would be go have a conversation with them. Make it a compelling conversation. Get your photo. Get your autograph. But at the same time, talk to them because they do want to talk to you about stuff like this. There's no other fan fest that's out there that, that's like this. This is not about the money. I can clearly tell you I'm not getting rich from any of these as I watch this guy count his stacks of money. And I don't fault him. A business is a business, right? So I don't. I'm not even faulting him with that, but there's a lot of disingen disingenuity, genuity. It's I don't easy know, for Jeff. You to say. Easy no, for no, me. just the opposite. But there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that are disingenuous, and when you say you know certain things like I do this for the fans and all that shit, no, you're really not. You're doing it for the ten, twenty, and thirty thousand dollars you're probably making. I don't make anywhere near even in the same neighborhood as that shit. <laughs> so just to give you an idea, it's a very, very small return. What I do get is gratification from it. And much like that sex segment that we talked about earlier, which was a lot of self-gratification. <laughs> uh, there's a nice segue right there. We're, we're we, getting uh, to that on the show, Barry. <laughs> okay, we haven't gotten there yet. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, a lot of this is because I want to treat people fairly. And I want people to come and have a great time and also make it affordable. Because, look, this is self self-serving. I, a lot of these, you know, I, I do this shit for me as much as anybody else. I love doing it. I, I wouldn't miss a fan fest and certainly I run them so I can't miss them, but it, it means everything. I, 
I start looking forward to the next fan fest when the this one ends. So it means everything in the world to me. So I do appreciate the kind words that you said, Jeff, and uh, I encourage people. It's certainly it's uh, there are still some tickets left. It's right around the corner at this point. I think we're just what five days away or something like that. But if you can't make it, try to join us at another one. If you can make it, there are three different pricing options. Not everybody can afford the ultra ticket, which I get. But our tickets start off at $60. We have eight talents there. Eight talents with a photo and an autograph is less than $10 per talent for both photo and an autograph. You will never find a cheaper price anywhere. That's my guarantee. Well, and, and you know, not only that, uh, the opportunity to meet the talent, the opportunity to meet Barry Rose and myself, <clears throat> that you can put no price on that, Barry. I mean, it's uh, obviously, yeah, let, let me, uh, of course, I'm, I'm joking. Uh, don't worry. Here's one thing that I love about your fan fest, sure. among a lot of things, okay? The other day, uh, I was talking with uh, my boy Flaherty, who, of course, will be there. And he was very excited that Kevin Sullivan was going to be there. And he said, do you think that Kevin Sullivan would mind if I came up to him and started talking to him about baseball? Because, you know, Kevin Sullivan, huge baseball guy, okay? You always see him wearing a Red Sox shirt uh, in photo ops, okay? And I told him, I said, look, I went to one of the fan fests, and the morning after the fan fest, Sunday morning, uh, in the hotel, they have the uh, the breakfast, you know, and so we're sitting there with a group of about five or six guys, including Kevin and J.J. Dillon, and so uh, now it's time for people to start going up to their hotel rooms, getting their bags, start making their way out of the hotel, and Kevin and I were the only two people left at the table, and I said, well, I'll be honest with you, I got to get up and start making my way out, too, and he goes, oh, do you mind sitting down and, and just chatting with me for a while before I have to leave also? And I was like, what, what, what are you fucking kidding me? Like Sully wants to sit and chat with me. And you know, the funny thing is, I don't think I talked wrestling with Sullivan. I think we sat there and talked about baseball. Hey, one of the things I've said to people before is a lot of times it's great to talk wrestling with these people, believe it or not. Some of you may be stunned to hear this. If you say, oh, yeah, you remember that match from December 4th of 1978? Well, that was a great, shockingly, they're not going to be able to remember that. But if you talk outside of the scope of wrestling, and I'm talking about not when you're standing in, you know, at a table, uh, of course you want to talk wrestling with them. But like if you're in an area like Robert Gibson outside the front of the building or Kevin Sullivan sitting, having a cup of coffee, shooting the crap with me, you know, if you talk baseball or 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 movies or sports, just like we do on this show. That's something that they're going to enjoy because it's not the usual shit, you know? So hell yes, Dave Flaherty talked to Kevin about Boston Red Sox baseball or uh, the fact that you're a Yankees fan or, you know, talk to people about other stuff because that's the kind of stuff that's going to make them come up to somebody and go, hey, you know, I've never been to a fan fest like this. I I'm really enjoying myself because that's what wrestlers have told me before. I'm sure they've told Barry before, and, you know, that's the kind of stuff we like. So, all that said, I really hope what we will get to see all of you. We're looking forward. Uh, we mentioned Jason Ward. We're looking forward to meeting you, Jason. Jason's trip, as Barry reminded me, uh, is uh, sponsored by our friends Frankie uh, and Jana Seacrest. Uh, very much appreciative to them. Uh, we wish that our friend Joe Christie uh, could have been here with us, Barry. But uh, we're going to raise an adult beverage to Joe and his memory when we're there. I know that. So now, getting on to the rest of the episode today, Barry, our match of the week. We're going to December 26, 1988, I believe at Norfolk, Virginia, if I'm not mistaken, at the lovely Scope. Starcade 88, we are talking the man I call B.W. Barry Wyndham taking on Bam Bam Bigelow in a really good match that I really enjoyed. Besides all that, Barry Rose, uh, believe it or not, shockingly likes to talk about food, and I throw an unsolicited question of Barry to Barry about his favorite food cities that I think you'll be intrigued by. And Barry has made a reference. Okay, Fabe, Barry, before we do the intro to the show, by the way, an already recorded segment, Barry Rose and I talk sex trivia. Boom, right there, Barry. I think we've got him hooked just talking sex trivia. What do you think, my man? I think this is going to be the best episode ever. Best episode ever, 243. Yeah, you know, there are other shows on the Arcadian Network that don't have this sort of longevity. I'm not going to mention any names, but I think you know who I'm talking about. Barry Rose, what do you say we go to our match of the week? Let's do it. 
Today we are talking December 26, 1990, I'm sorry, 1988, excuse me. Uh, it is a Starcade, I believe True Grit. Was that the name of it? You remember? I don't remember. No. Ah, okay. Well, what kind of co-host are you? Exactly. Anyway, we're talking Barry Windham versus Bam Bam Bigelow. Barry, real quick, tell us what you thought about this match. I remember when this match took place as well, and I, you know, much like you, I think at this stage, I was such a huge fan of Barry Windham. He was he was arguably the best in the world a year or two earlier, but even at this stage, the guy was absolutely phenomenal. And Bigelow is kind of an enigma. Because there's, he's definitely got a cult-like following at this stage, and there's, I, I always felt like there was, there were two different Bigelows. There was the one that was, uh, you know, a, a guy who really dug in and had these really good matches, and then there was the second Bigelow where he worked very light. Do you know what I'm talking about? With no, that? no, yeah, yeah. And it always seemed odd to me because he was a guy is, that that if I could interrupt. He never seemed to really become the sum of all his parts. Yeah. Would that be fair to say? It is. And it's, I think a lot of it is, uh, I, I think he absolutely should have been a bigger star because again, the, the look was, you know, the, the fire tattoos on the side of his head based off of his size and the fact that he could move what I always felt like. And I think you see it a few times in this match as well, as well is that he works awfully light. Like he's like, I think sometimes he's trying to look as nimble as he could look. And, uh, it, it just, he, he almost appears at times to work like a luchador, but it doesn't quite work in my opinion. So I always thought Bigelow and by all accounts too, just a wonderful, wonderful human being, just a yes. great guy, a guy that was a guy that you clearly, you would have to think could fuck somebody up if, if anybody did shit, but apparently took some abuse from the click, you know, in the, the Kevin Nash's and Scott. No, yeah, because he wasn't part of their group and took some abuse. And it just, he seems like the kind of guy that could easily just fuck somebody up royally at the same was time. He, was he, was he not a bounty hunter before he got into wrestling? Uh, I think I, I, think I heard he something was. Like yeah. I think he was. He was definitely a badass. And yeah. there's there's the story I, which came out a year or two before he died, where he actually saved kids that were trapped in a fire. I think it was in a burning building, and he went in and, uh, or maybe it was a car, if I'm recalling correctly. And uh, just by all accounts, a good guy had some demons in life. I believe was it drugs that he died from? Mm, you got sweet me. there. Sweet Lou will will chime in and let us know. I it may have been. Uh, somehow drug related, but just a shame because I, I remember seeing Bigelow the first time and I think it was Crusher Yurkoff in yes. world class. One of your all time bad ideas uh, for a wrestling gimmick. Oh, a terrible idea. And then Memphis seemed to get it right when you know, yeah. they brought him in, they got it right. And uh, I just, you know, I know that he had that high profile match in uh, the WWE against Lawrence Taylor. And when he got to the WCW, it just appeared that they didn't know what to do with him, and he definitely wasn't politically connected and really just didn't do a whole lot. This match, though, I think is an exception because I think Bigelow looks really good, and I think Wyndham also so capable of just leading anybody to a really, really good match, Jeff. So uh, let me talk about Bigelow first, uh, the the idea of the Crusher Yurkoff in world class. Like, uh, really, what the F were you thinking there? Because... It wasn't like this guy had not been in any, in any of the magazines as Bam Bam Bigelow. I mean, like they put him over huge in the magazines uh, as this incredible newcomer that, you know, could do so many, you know, for a man his size, he was doing cartwheels and, and things like that. Yeah. And he had the tattoos, like you said, that just gave him such an incredible look. And then you bring him in and say, yeah, we're going to make you a Russian, you know, because so many Russians have tattoos on their uh, top of their head that we had seen, you know, uh, Ivan Koloff and uh, uh, Nikita and uh, Nikolai Volkov and all this. No, it's just, it was such a stupid idea. You know, just bring him in as Bam Bam Bigelow and he would have gotten over like a million dollars. So as you were talking, I found myself wondering, Bam Bam Bigelow, should he have been what Vader became? What do you think? Yeah. Well, so wasn't there some sort of plan at some point? that they were looking at that. I, I think so too. I think Bigelow clearly had the tools to be what Vader was. And, and they, I think right there, I think if you put these two guys together, I think you would have had some dominant tag team 
Not yeah, only no. in this and, and in New Japan, they they were a, a very big tag team. You know, uh, I think they were involved with like maybe Scott Norton also as some sort of triple, uh, uh, you know, triple threat kind of team. But yeah, I, you know, like Vader got over in this country to like just say a certain extent. Bigelow, in my mind, should have at least gotten over to that extent. You know, now let's talk this match. God love him. He's one of our all-time favorites. Hump. The babyface manager is just a horrible <laughs> idea. Okay. <laughs> and it never works. And, you know, God bless him. They were given uh, Humperdinck a, a job. He was collecting a check. But he was obviously, you know, on the on the downside of his uh, of his great, great career. We've talked about it before. Babyface managers just never work. Uh, and so, you know, poor Hump is standing out there trying to figure out what the hell he's supposed to do, you know. And uh, and JJ, this was might have been one of JJ's last appearances in WCW. Am I right about that? I think it would have been, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so then the other thing that I want to talk about, controversial opinion here, Barry. Eh, maybe it's not a controversial right. opinion. Barry Wyndham at this stage, December of 1988, I'm going to just come out and say it. He was the best wrestler in the world. <clears throat> I think he was better than Flair for this brief moment in time. Uh, was he better than Flair ever? No, of course not. But at this point in time, like when I, you know, clicked the uh, the video on and he's standing there and he looks like he's six six and he, he doesn't look like he's got an ounce of fat on him, but he just looks so badass. And they're doing the gimmick with the glove now, with you know, calling back his dad. And as he's flying around, he makes Bigelow look like a star in this match, okay? And I was just watching it. I'm going, this is the fucking Barry Windham, that man that I was a complete mark for. This was the guy that just, you know, this was, uh, I think it was a couple weeks after they had done the famous tag match where he and Flair faced the Midnight Express uh, on TBS, which was a great match. And I want to say... By February, he was gone. Uh, he had left WCW. You know, we, we talked about Bigelow and his personal demons. Barry Wyndham's uh, uh, issues were not necessarily, I don't think, uh, personal demon related. Uh, by all accounts, uh, the story that I recall is he he met some girl, <laughs> and so uh, who was apparently pretty well to do, and um, basically uh, told Barry, "Hey, come off the road, and I'll take care of you." Uh, you know, did you hear that story? Because I heard something about that. Yeah, that's actually legit, too. So she was a... Good to know that occasionally I get stories right. You do. She was a, uh, I guess, a social, for lack of a better term, a socialite in the uh, Florida region. I want to say her first name was Pam, if I'm correct. Yeah. And uh, she was well-to-do. She was madly in love with Barry Wyndham. And uh, he basically decided... I'm a kept man. I, I don't need to get out there. I don't think I, everything I've gotten to from Wyndham, he didn't love professional wrestling. This was, uh, and, you know, that probably was what kept Barry from being considered in a Ric Flair type of uh, stratosphere. You know, uh, like I said, he had a time where I believe he really was the best in the world. He was incredible for his size. Uh, and, you know, he's not a guy that people think of as, quote unquote, a big man. Uh, you know, the way that we, you know, we talk about like Terry Gordy or Hanson or Brody or somebody or Vader or Bigelow. But I mean, Barry was every bit of what, six, six, uh, you know, uh, pushing probably 260, something like that. And he looked like he could play wide receiver somewhere or something, you know. Uh, so just an incredible shape. But you're right. He did not appear to love the business. There were guys like that. You know, there were guys that I mean, Flair wants to wrestle and he's in his 70s because. He can't get away from the business. Maybe it's not as important as somebody like Barry Wyndham. And God bless him for it. If he has that, you know, if something happened where he could walk away from the business, you know, more power to him, Bear. Yeah. And, you know, it, and again, he was he was apparently was getting laid left and right, had a lot of money being thrown at him and didn't have to go out and bust his ass. And again, if you don't have that love or that, as they call it, the sickness, right, which Ric Flair has uh, and Ric Flair, again, going to wrestle at, I think, 72 years old. That is, that's definitely part of the sickness at this stage. But yeah, Wyndham didn't have it. But you were, look, you're right in the fact that to me, Barry Wyndham, he was better than Flair. I, and I don't just think even at this stage, I think a lot of his career, the one knock on Flair, and I remember it was the late Paul Jones that really, uh, really clued Number me one. into this. 
Number one, the late Paul Jones, who was not a gigantic Ric Flair fan, though Paul uh, was bitter towards a lot of people. But what it what it came down to, and I, I forget what it was, but I was praising Flair at one point, and he said, you know, it, it, it doesn't make sense to me because a lot of guys can go out and have the exact same match on a nightly basis. And at that stage, if you remember in the early 90s, Flair was. Flair was literally going out having what was, you know, doing the same spots, the, the face plant, the, the flip off the top rope, doing the same spots every single match. And Wyndham wasn't like that. Wyndham had his spots, obviously. But uh, it, it, to me, Wyndham wasn't like a repetitive style of wrestler. Well, all the best people have assured me that it was only Bret Hart that had the same matches night after night. <clears throat> but uh, Barry, actually, uh, your comments there would be 100% correct. Wow. I'm waiting. Check. Thank you. You're a little late on the check there, mister. I was. So uh, we will post a link to this match, which I have to tell you is I watched it. I don't think I'd seen the match in over 20 plus years. And I was like, fuck, this is like a really good match by both guys. You know, Uh, I will agree. I saw a comment posted somewhere. The finish. Let's talk about the finish, Bear. The finish a little weak. Yeah, the finish was weak. That. That wasn't, and I remember that too when I actually when I saw this match and it took place. The finish was kind of weak. Do you want to walk uh, the listeners through the finish? Jeff? Well, I, I, you know they essentially do. You know they're they're both outside <laughs> the ring. Uh, they're doing a schmaz outside the ring. Wyndham kind of jumps back in the ring at like maybe the nine count or something like that. Bigelow is still outside the ring. And considering you're at Starcade, it's the you know biggest show of the year for WCW. You know. Is there nothing else you can come up with? And, you know, I will say, in defense of WCW, I can't believe I'm using those words. This was right after Dusty got uh, shit-canned as Booker, okay? So all of a sudden now, there's really nobody at the forefront who's going, you know, this is what you're going to do, blah, 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 blah. For better or worse, that's what Dusty had done. He was the person that was, you know, okay, you're doing this, you're doing this, this is the go-home, da-da-da. And so was there anyone that was specifically saying, this is what I, why I want to do a count out at uh, 15 or 16 minutes and somebody else, you know, could come in and say, <laughs> well, no, why don't we do this? And that you had all these different voices coming in there. And, you know, honestly, by this point, Barry Wyndham had been in the business long enough where he probably had the ability to sit there and go, eh, no, we can come up with a better finish than this because Barry was a guy from all accounts that was, very, you know, very smart to the business, understood the business and what was going on. Uh, he had certainly been around Dusty for long enough to know, you know, uh, come up with a better finish than this. So I don't know who came up with this finish, but for a match that was this good, it really uh, left, uh, you know, left you wanting more. And I think when you consider great matches, not only from the decade, uh, but from, you know, in history, this match, if there had been a really interesting finish or a better finish, I think would have been much better remembered. Would that be fair, Bear? Yeah, it would have too. And I, I think, uh, I think it would have gone a longer way. It definitely in the legacy of Bigelow too, because so if I say Bigelow to you, what's the first thing that pops to your head? It pops in your head. Is it the Lawrence Taylor match? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Which would seem to make a lot of sense. But again, I, I think missed opportunities with Bigelow. I think partly he's probably responsible. I definitely, the booking was, but uh, yeah, I, I think this match, I think there were certain tweaks, and I think the finish would be the biggest tweak I'd make. Yeah, so we will post a link to this match uh, in our Facebook group, Breaking Cave Fable Powder and Barry, so that you can take a look at it. Uh, 16 minutes. Enjoy the match. Be disappointed by the finish. That's that's how I'll say. That's how I'll put it. So, Barry, why don't we move on to a little food talk, because I know you oh. love talking food. I don't know if people realize that about you, Barry, but you apparently like talking food. So I was listening I'm going to say this, Barry, to another podcast. What? Uh, yes, I know there are other podcasts. I was listening to a, a podcast uh, that's uh, football-based. I'll just say that. Okay. And so uh, the uh, host of the show was talking about different cities that he has been to uh, as an announcer and which cities that he enjoys, which cities that he didn't enjoy so much. And one of the things he brought up was, oh, well, this city, uh, oh, boy, uh, there's great food there, and there's, you know, because I've been there enough, I know the good restaurants to go to, which leads me to ask Barry Rose, food savant, if you will. I'm giving you a choice, Barry, okay? Knowing where you have been uh, traveling in your days, 
I'm giving you a choice of one of these following cities. You tell me, based on your knowledge of the restaurants that would be available in these cities, which one of these cities are you choosing? Okay. Okay. Yep. New York, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Miami, or the Tampa area? Oh, that is tough. So quick question. I don't give you the easy shit, Rose. You don't. Is uh is somebody else picking up the tab on this one? Of or course, yes, yes. Oh, in that case, uh Brian Lath with that Arcadian money is paying for all of it. So <sighs> tough call with this one. If somebody else is picking up so I'm I'm not gonna go best restaurant city. I'm going with the parameter of somebody else is paying. In that case, I'm choosing Vegas. And why am I choosing Vegas? Because Vegas, first off, Vegas, very expensive, very much overpriced. A bowl of pasta in a really good restaurant like Rayo's or something could cost you 30 and 35 bucks. It's ridiculous. However, the quality of food out in Vegas can be phenomenal. You're just literally paying 40 and 50 bucks an entree. I do think the best restaurant city out of all that, and I got to say, I'm talking prior to COVID, right? Because I don't course, know what yeah. I don't know what COVID's done to New York City as far as restaurants. Though I imagine there's still great restaurants, obviously, but I New York would be right up there. Miami, so Miami's interesting. I don't. I'm so far removed from Miami at this stage that I don't really know. Tampa, we know, but I got to tell you, a lot of the restaurants that I like in Tampa are the Portillo's, the Culver's, the Glory Days, you know, even Columbia, which is actually a good restaurant, but a lot of them aren't. Somebody else uh, You did not them. mention Burns Steakhouse. Oh, my God, Burns. How could I leave off Burns? That's, we, that was our first, uh, the first fan fest. That was a hell of an experience, too. And yes, maybe absolutely. we should do that again. I do like that one, too. So, yeah, it's tough. It's, excellent question. I'm going to go with Vegas because Roman Gomez is buying. So, yeah. So, I'm interested that, in your whole discussion, you did not mention Los Angeles. Yeah. So, and I would, uh, I would absolutely go with that because I just, just coming back. Because apparently that, Rick Nathan would be buying out there or Gabe. You know? <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> it was, uh, and I think my favorite restaurant, at least my new favorite restaurant, uh, is out in Los Angeles, which is that restaurant Superb- Superbia. Superba. Superb. Oh, okay. Uh, and, uh, it was, I, again, blown away with the food, blown away with the service, the ambiance. Everything about it absolutely works. So I, uh, it's my favorite. These are all, that's, again, that's an extremely tough question. I'd go with Vegas because I could go to Joe's Stone Crabs, right? And somebody else is buying and I could eat unlimited Stone Crabs. And yeah, I know Miami's got it, but a tough call. There, there's no wrong answer. So let me ask you, uh, I'll modify the question. Where are you going? What city are you going to if you're buying? Oh, Tampa, because I could afford that one. Yeah. Okay. So it was interesting because I was having this discussion with the sainted Mrs. Bowdrin at our lunch today. And I said, what do you think about that? And she said, well, you know, when we lived in South Florida, as compared to where we live now in Northern Georgia, she goes, there's better restaurants overall in South Florida, but there's better barbecue where we are at now. Ah. So we got that, you know, that whole thing. So when I was asking her the question and she said, what do you think? And I said, you know, I've never really dined uh, out in Los Angeles. I, I mean, I went out there many years ago, but I, you know, you think New York, we've been to New York and there's great, great restaurants in New York, but you know, Vegas, you're right. Just uh, prices aside, there is so many food options out there that it's insane. And what I told her was, I'm not even talking about the hotels and the casinos because, you know, we're, we're watchers of the Food Network and stuff like that. And so we see the different food shows that go out to Vegas. Off the Strip, there's plenty of great restaurants too, Bear. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, in, in Nevada, and that's based off of the sheer, you know, tourism in that area and the transient nature. It's Similar to Orlando, there's a lot of restaurants in Orlando, obviously, because you have people coming from all over the world. So I love Vegas. I uh, Again, I had some great meals. Luckily, I wasn't paying for those meals, Jeff, because they were fucking pricey. But we did go to Rayo's, and uh, my company picked up our check. But things like 
rigatoni alla vodka was like $33, right? Like wow. it, you said, like chicken parm was almost 40 bucks and you're going, this is clearly insane. This is all prior to COVID too. So I think the sheer volume of restaurants, the sheer volume of good restaurants that you have out there makes it a tough uh, choice to go against. So Barry, now I'm going to do something that I love to do. You know what that is, Barry? No, not that. Oh. It's springing something on you that you weren't told or ready about. Ah. (laughs) Barry, do you recall who we had? No, not Fumi Saito, but our other guest on a recent Patreon episode. That was maybe Bobby Reynolds. Yes. And what is Bobby's uh, Facebook page again, Barry? Whatever happened to your favorite adult film actress? Yes. So I started thinking, since we're prepping to do part two with a Bobby, I came up with, oh, Barry, it's been a hot tick since we've done this, sexual trivia. Boom! Right wow. The music blew. Barry Rose, are you ready for some sexual trivia? No, a little, no. A little something. Not at all. Titillate the uh, listener. Hey, always a good uh, time when you can use the word titillate, Barry. So anyway, so let's go. Barry Rose, I- I'm just going to throw some random shit at you here. All right. Barry Rose. Softening the taste of semen. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you would know. But, you know, when you're uh, perhaps in a, a romantic type thing, celery and pineapple berry. Oh, my. Yes. And did you know that uh, per ejaculation, one to two teaspoons? <laughs> no, I, don't know if, I don't know if you have the heavy flow there or not, Barry Rose. But uh, anyway, so now let's go to, uh, according to this article by uh, <clears throat> tabootoys.com, Barry, let's, talking, let's talk about uh, the animal kingdom. Barry Rose, do you know that after losing a battle, apes will tend to masturbate? This is the kind of high quality info you don't get everywhere, Barry. Yeah, no, you definitely don't get that everywhere, too. Female uh, kangaroos, Barry, have three vaginas. Did you know that? No, they don't. Seriously? That's what it says. Let's see. Uh, uh, porpoises enjoy group sex. Wow, so porpoises are orgy guys. Yeah. Hamsters can have sex 75 times a day. It's like when Barry Rose was in his 20s. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm guessing 75 times a day would be out of the question for you now, Barry. Yeah, that's uh, that's just a little bit crazy right there. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know in China, Southeast Asia, and the Philippines, by the way, shout out to our listeners in Southeast Asia. Oh, yeah. Cobra blood is used to increase sexual potency. Huh. No, I never knew that. But is that is that is that legit or is this according to tabootoys.com, you know? Uh let's see here. Uh, according to archives of general medicine, co- do you like coffee berry? I love coffee. Yeah. Coffee drinkers have sex more frequently and enjoy it more than non-coffee drinkers. By the way, Barry, <clears throat> I don't drink coffee. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm sure apparently uh you're seeing far more. I I like uh, uh what do you call uh Coffee um, candies. So maybe that makes up for it. I don't know. Uh, How about coffee ice cream? You like coffee ice cream? I'm not a fan of coffee ice cream either. And notice that Barry turns the sex talk right back to food again. Exactly, yes. So, okay, Barry, let's talk uh, the the subtitle here of the article, Backdoor Shenanigans. According to data from 2010. Backdoor shenanigans. That's a good way of putting it, was it? 40% of women between the ages of 20 to 24 have tried anal sex. 40% of women between the ages of, what was it? 20 to 24 have tried anal sex. Now, are you asking if this is true or false? Or is this no, 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 I'm, I'm giving, these are the details. I'm just wow. letting you Do you think that figure is a bit high? I think I, in my head, I would think it's a bit, a bit high, but I also know that there's a different, with young people, there's a different culture around, uh, uh, unlike the old perverts like us. Yes, young, truly. Yeah, young people do have a different type of culture with that. So, no, so I, I would say that's probably accurate. That would According make sense. to this study, 25% of heterosexual Americans have engaged in anal sex. Barry, you're, you're strangely well, silent here. 25% <laughs> of heterosexual Americans have engaged in anal sex. 25%. I would think, well, you know what? That is going to take into account people that are in their 70s, et cetera. 
I would think a lot of 70 year olds have an anal sex are no, there? I think just the opposite. But I, I think maybe that is the uh, I think I'm looking at it because I think if you're younger, you're definitely trying it. Uh, you're doing it. Uh, you know, it, it, certainly not. I want to say I'll just offer this little opinion. I think that this particular sexual act, I'm sounding so professional medical here, Barry. Oh, yeah. I think it doesn't have the stigma that it did maybe when you and I were in our teen years or early 20s. What do you it think about that? hundred percent doesn't. It, it's uh check. You know, yeah, yeah. You go back to uh, what, you know, porn was like, and even the world was like, where shaving of the pubic hair now is certainly extremely common. That was unheard of in the 80s. Like that just did not exist. So that that's something that I think has made a big change. But I do think the proliferation of anal sex. Good word, proliferation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think the proliferation of the anal sex over in the last uh, maybe 20 years, it's completely just, you know, it, it's it's not. I think we viewed it as, I don't know, is kinky the right word? experimental kinky and I, I think now it's the norm for some people so the interesting thing i will throw out there is back in the day uh when i went to high school uh in uh <clears throat> lovely belleville illinois there was a girl that i remember in our high school that rumor had it of course <laughs> scurrilous high school rumors of course sure that she wanted to maintain if you will bury the v card you get my yes. meaning there Oh, yeah. So when given the opportunity, she said, no, 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 uh, this isn't uh, happening until I get married. But, you know, around back, around back, the, that that door is open. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't know whether or not she's part of the 25 percent, Barry, but uh, I thought that was kind of interesting, especially uh, considering when I graduated, because, yeah, that would have been a pretty, uh, pretty taboo subject back then. I think that. But I, again, I think that was I, I knew even back then I knew. I should say there was one. I should okay. I didn't know, right? We there was a girl at our high school who has since passed away. That was uh, was same thing. She was keeping the V card intact, but she would let you enter the back door, and she was also blowing guys left and right. <laughs> so so she somehow was she was popular she was popular and i i think it led to issues later in life for her uh but i i also i i think that a lot of uh women basically or you know girls they they basically fool themselves like oh yeah i'm a virgin i my my asshole can fucking whistle dixie at this point <laughs> you know and i'm sucking a lot of dick but but yeah, i'm still a virgin i, I don't think you are I, I these are important issues that need to be talked about here on breaking gp with Adam and barry go ahead yeah yeah it just it's it, it that that always struck me as kind of ridiculous that well i will i will offer this uh counter argument uh same high school different girl uh, but i will say same neighborhood there was a girl that uh apparently when she was oh my god you think about it, it's now ninth grade uh, who apparently had pretty much given it away to all the boys in the neighborhood, except me. But, of course, I was recently moved to the neighborhood. However, after uh, realizing that she had made a horrible mistake because, gee, very go figure, uh, all the boys that nailed her mentioned it to pretty much everybody in the locker room. So she starts abstaining from sex, okay? Then comes up with the argument, similar to the one you just offered, that, yeah, I haven't had sex in a couple of years, so I consider myself a virgin now. Uh-huh. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's like uh, the uh, sure. new math. I don't know. So yeah, Barry, exactly. Continuing with this fascinating discussion, according to this study, 8% of Americans engage in regular anal sex. I would too say high that. or too low? What do you think? I think, it, I, you know, again, you're, you got to take into account everybody with that. I think that might be, and what's regular daily basis, once a week, once a month. I would say, I think that number could be in the double digits. I would yeah. say maybe 10%. That's my guess. Barry, according to the study, do you know that the male prostate is biologically similar to the female G spot? Uh, no, and I, <laughs> I, I don't want to find out, but no. <laughs> so, oh. so if you tickle my prostate, I'm going to start squirting everywhere. Is that what the, <laughs> you know, the problem is, is when you go to the doctor and, you know, you have to have that particular exam, Barry, that you and I both know what we're talking about here. Oh, and, yeah. You know, 
And what's really bad is when the doctor, you know, reassures you, uh, this is going to be fine. And then you notice both his hands are on your shoulders. That's uh, really bad. <laughs> anyway, uh, Barry, did you know now we're on to the next uh, subject matter, which is called banging slang. Barry Rose, did you know that the expression get laid supposedly has roots in the Everly Bordello in 1900s Chicago? Quote, oh, yeah. I'm going to ever get ever laid tonight. No, I've you never know? heard that. Never now, heard. The next one, I have, have heard this one. The word fuck is actually an acronym. It dates back to the good old days when England was severely underpopulated due to the usual combination of fire, war, and plague. The king issued an official order to, well, fuck, to replenish the population. Hence the phrase, quote, fornicate under command of the king. Passed into wow. everyday labor. Yes, I, I had actually heard that, and that's where the F-U-C-K, uh, see how easily I spelled there, Barry? Yeah, that's yeah, where that's the good. word fuck came from. Well, I didn't know that, and that's a word that we both of us love, so yeah, well, we should we know. Well, we love using, too. Barry, now on to the next category titled breast wishes. Barry, did you know that about 50% of women have one breast that is larger than the other? Yeah, so that I actually knew. Uh, I actually uh, uh, knew a girl that uh, had told me about that particular issue. So yes, I was aware of this. Yeah, so I, that's uh, and that's something too. I think that's extremely common. You know, there it would be impossible in a lot of ways that when you stop and think that they would be identical <laughs> to each other. Lou pointing out that this is this is called Biggie Smalls. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I was aware of that. Yes, uh, according to uh, this also study, research shows that some women's breasts swell during arousal and can actually increase in size during sex. Did you know that, Barry Rose? I did not know that. Tell me that again. Research shows that some yes. women's breasts swell when they're aroused and can actually increase in size during sex. So if you're with one of these uh, ladies that, uh, you know, A cup and you give them a good time next to you, you look down, hey, she's a B cup. You know, I mean, it's a good times bear. I like it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I didn't know that, but I'm going to keep an eye out for that now. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, you do that. Keep a yeah. watchful eye. According to a U.S. market research firm, the most popular American bra size is currently 36C, an increase from 1991 when it was 34B. God bless you women who are out there increasing your breast size, Barry. That's all I got to say. Wow. And how is this happening? This is naturally I, occurring? or I, I don't know if they're eating more or, uh, <laughs> or right. <what? laughs> Apparently, Barry, according to this study, the first screen star to use her breast to harness erotic attention was Jean Harlow, who would rub her nipples with ice before press conferences. Oh. That's, you know, that's this kind of woman that you can appreciate. And she was like back in the 30s. So, yeah. uh, you know, here we're now talking, oh, my God, Barry, almost 100 years ago, uh, Jean Harlow getting ready to meet the press. Let's rub a little ice on the old nipples to get a little attention from the boys in the press. So, uh, hey, you know, but uh, let's see. Uh, next, uh, under the title Burning Sensations, Barry, <laughs> Old Joe is ancient slang for syphilis. Old Joe. I've never heard that before. Morning Dew is slang <laughs> for gonorrhea. I love that. Morning Dew. A little All dew right. on the lily, too, Barry. Ugh. So uh, uh, because of differences in anatomy, women, uh, this is good news for you and I, Barry, women are more susceptible to STDs than men. Why is that? Because of differences in the anatomy. Okay. Thank God. Sure. Chlamydia. Are you familiar with that word on a personal I level, am. Barry? Not on a personal, but I am familiar with what chlamydia is. Is the most frequently reported bacterial sexually transmitted infection in the U.S. That is damn sailors. They visit all the different ports. Uh, let's see. Uh, more than one out of every six people aged 14 to 49 have genital herpes. That is not a good study for you single folk out there. That's all I'm going to say, Barry. <laughs> yes, that's for sure. Uh, let's see here. Uh, some STIs can be also transmitted <clears throat> using sex toys. Using condoms when sharing toys and change the condom for each person. It tips for you single folks again, Barry. Yeah, absolutely, too. And it's uh, 
That, that's a good thing. And that, that would make sense to me, actually. Barry, uh, that, what country do you think has a the highest percentage of people practicing safe sex? Norway. Norway is the country. It's a good guess. Those Norwegians, they're very careful. But according yes. to this study, Spain, 26% really? of the people in Spain said to have been practicing safe sex, followed by Vietnam with 24%. Now, here's the one that I have to dispute. India, 20% of the people. Shout out to our listeners in uh, in India, Barry. Yeah, I don't know if I'm buying all uh, that. 10 to 20 listeners in India. Spain, uh, I mean, it's a country that's known for uh, romance. and I, well, yeah, I, But it's also, I believe, very heavily Catholic, which actually, right. now that I say that, would mean that they wouldn't be practicing safe sex because they'd be per, you know, practicing uh, uh, the Catholicism where you can't use those things. But uh, and going back to my days when I was a, a young man going to Catholic school, Barry, uh, let's see here. Uh, oh, Barry, this is an issue that we brought up at the beginning of this segment. Having right. oral sex does not mean you're playing it safe. In fact, having unprotected oral sex puts you at a especially high risk for gonorrhea, syphilis, herpes, and hepatitis B. Oh, and that's herpes and hepatitis of the mouth. Oh, here. yeah. That's uh, that's something oh. that's going to probably cost you a chance with uh, some uh, some romantic uh, yeah, futures, you know, so. needless to say. Uh, let's see here. Oh, now, Barry, we're uh, down to the segment called Cheating Hearts. Okay. Barry, current studies of American couples indicate that 20 to 40 percent of heterosexual married men and 20 to 25 percent of heterosexual married women will also have an extramarital affair during their lifetime. What do you think of that? What was the percentage number again? On men, it's 20 to 40 percent. On women, 20 to 25 percent. Yeah, I think that's probably accurate. I think that would make sense. While I don't agree with that, I, I on a well, personal what level, what, what don't well, I'm not that? a I'm not a cheater. Uh, that wasn't uh, even though I've had failed marriages and failed relationships, uh, cheating wasn't one of the reasons. So I'm not a uh, I'm not a big proponent on cheating. I, I think what cheating can do to a family. Uh, and especially if there are kids involved, I, I think it's uh, very selfish. So I'm not a huge fan of cheaters and cheating, but uh, I, I think that's probably right and probably accurate. Barry, did you know in Hong Kong, a betrayed wife may legally kill her husband, but it can only be done with her bare hands. However, the husband's lover may be killed in any manner desired. Well, so if you're no, going to cheat, don't go to Hong Kong. That's all. Yeah, I was going to say, shit, we want to avoid that. No, yeah. I'd, I've never heard that before. Seven in 10 people would tell their partner if they had a sexually transmitted disease or infection, but only 47% would admit having an affair. So, you know, if you catch something because you've cheated, you're going to go and say, uh, yeah, uh, listen, I got this uh, STD. Uh, did you cheat? No, 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 no. It wasn't because I cheated. I was sitting on a toilet seat uh, at the park. You know, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Did you know that the clitoris is the only organ in a woman's body that's only function is to give sexual pleasure? Uh, you mean to herself or to someone else? Because well, uh, yeah. I, I don't. I was just. Uh, I was going to mention this because I don't know if you were aware. Uh, did you did you know that there's something called a clitoris? <laughs> have you have you been able to locate it on a woman before? That's not easily, but yeah, yeah, exactly a, not easily. But uh, but yeah, I am aware of it. In the 1400s, Barry, you know how modern and liberal thinking they were back then. Did you know that evidence of the clitoris, or quote unquote, as it was called, the devil's teat, could prove a woman's status as a witch? Devil's teat. See now that's the high kind of the high quality of intel that oh, yeah. is not provided anywhere else, you know, on the Arcadian network. I'm just going to say that. So uh, let's see here what we've got. Uh, we're still on the clitoris, Barry. Let, let's stay on the clitoris as long as we All can. Right. Research indicates that the clitoris has 8,000 nerve endings, while the penis has just 4,000. Somehow we got we got short uh, short shifted there, Barry. What do you think? We did get short shifted there too, and especially when the fact that uh, yeah, you guys are uh, 
as we know it, guys are uh, constantly uh, diddling and playing around with their people, <laughs> kind of like, kind of like monkeys. You know, they're constantly really? slapping. While we're talking back. here, Barry, have you been diddling with your penis? <laughs> I love that. Diddling with your diddling. penis. Diddling. Not Barry. today. But, but yeah. So the next category, freaking frequency. <laughs> the group that has the most frequent sex is, oh, Barry, we're going to be very disappointed to hear this, is the 35 to 44-year-old uh, age group. So, Barry, shout out to the 35 to 44-year-olds in our listening audience that are apparently getting laid way more than you and I are. Sons of bitches. Yeah, and they are. It's uh, because you and I, as we approach the seventh inning, Jeff, we're, <laughs> we've <laughs> we slowed down. Are we the top of the seventh or the bottom? That's the I, exactly. I think we're at the bottom. It's we're just uh, yeah, we're we're slowing down a little bit. I I know that uh, you know I know over the last few days I've been not not having felt great. I've been slowing down a little bit. Well, you know, it, it's hard for you to be sexually intimate when you're in California with a lady friend especially when you're having stomach issues because, you know, nothing, nothing says I want to get romantic like having a, a serious stomach issue, uh, Barry. For women age 50 and higher, older age is related to a decline in all sexual behaviors. 5% per year of age for penile vaginal intercourse, 7% per age of year receiving or giving oral sex. Boy, that's getting disappointing for our listener that are women over the age of 50, Barry. Oh, yeah, yeah. The French, Greeks, Hungarians, well, we talked about Hungarians recently, Barry, and Serbs have the highest sexual frequency. So, hey, big thumbs up to you French, Greeks, Hungarians, and Serbs that are listening to this high-quality Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network show, Bear. Yeah, and I, I'd agree with that, too. It's uh, I've, known, I've known many Hungarians. I've known some Greeks, some Serbs, and they're, they're very passionate, energetic people. So I believe they're fucking 24-7. I believe that. Yeah, that's <laughs> so now here, Barry, these are a couple of interesting stats here. According to this study, 40% of adults in India did not make love until after they were married. 40% in India? Wow. Yeah, that's, that's just kind of crazy. Yeah. So apparently after they get married, they're making up for it. So because the, uh, the population base in India just continues to increase, Barry. Now, those in Japan, according to this study, are the least sexually active, which I got to be honest with you. I mean, I know that my trip to Japan was uh, many, many years ago, but uh, some of the stuff that's out there uh, for public consumption in Japan is stuff that's not, uh, let's just say, available in the United States, unless you want to get yourself, uh, you know, popped by the cops. So it's uh, kind of interesting that they're uh, the least sexually active when there's so much uh, out there in the public spotlight that is seemingly uh, trying to attract them to that bear. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think a lot of it is, uh, I know that there's it, certainly having seen Kinjate forbidden subjects numerous <laughs> yes. times. The the great Charles Bronson. Oh, what, did you best. just watch that? So, oh, I, I, so there's on one of my streamers and it's on one of the like lower channels. There's uh there's every Chuck Norris movie and every Charles Bronson movie. So yeah. That's what I've been doing. I've been just basically resting the last couple of days and watching Charles Bronson and uh, Chuck Chuck movies. Yes. Kenjate forbidden subject is, you know, it's it's bad cinema. OK, but the subject matter is so skeevy, oh, you yeah. know, the guy that is doing it and like, you know, just like, uh, you know, I mean, he, he's a great heel in the movie. I don't even know who the actor was that was the main heel, but. When he gets thrown into the cell at the end of the movie and Bronson looks at the camera and says, now that's what I call poetic justice. That's like uh, my really bad uh, Bronson impression. But uh, yeah, that's a, uh, <laughs> that's a movie that probably is not going to age well now. Let me just say that. So, but yeah, I know in Japan, I have read that there are things that you can buy, let's just say uh, commercially, uh, in a uh, convenience store, that would be relatively shocking to the average American consumer, Barry. Yeah, I, I've heard that as well. But I know that there are certain types of pornography which are banned or outlawed as well in Japan. And uh, so they, they've got different mores than we have. It's certainly it's a cultural thing. That oh, no, absolutely. Things, absolutely. Yeah. Some of these things are uh, are clearly acceptable. And then things that we would basically say my God, this is horrific. And I know exactly what you're referring to. 
yeah, for some reason in Japan, it's it's revered. It's almost accepted. Barry, now they're moving to the segment called Great Balls of Fire. Barry, did you know, and I did not know this, even though I worked in the court system for many years, that the word testify is derived from a Roman legal practice of swearing on one's testicles. I've never heard that before. Barry, the next time I see you and I want to I want to really know the truth about something, I'm going to have you grab your Johnson in the balls and say, All my right. God, you swear on them testicles, mister. Yeah, in Lutz, I will be doing a lot of uh, ball grabbing in Lutz. <laughs> uh, you make sure you want to be there. It's June the 4th. <laughs> there will be ball That's grabbing extraordinary. Segue, Barry. Beautiful Absolutely. Segue. I'm going to ask uh, all of our guests from Demolition down to Kevin Sullivan, uh, the the Cuban assassin. I'm going to ask them all to grab their junk. Medusa, even who doesn't even have balls. <laughs> I'm going to ask her to grab uh, her testicles. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. She'll be fine. Did you know, it. Barry, little historical knowledge. Did you know that Hitler and Napoleon were both missing a testicle? I want to say I heard about Napoleon. And, and then there's another is doesn't Napoleon's penis. It's in a box somewhere. Like I, it's apparently he had a cocktail wiener of a penis. Oh my! And yeah, yeah, and that's I think that's a lot of people have uh, equated that with his uh, his rage and his anger, but that uh, his penis somehow lives on. I want to say I heard about uh, about Hitler as well. Yeah. So Barry, here is the kind of study that uh, we can uh, definitely look into. According to the studies, left testicles usually hang lower than the right. Hold on. I'm going to have you uh, check for I us right now. I think that's Barry. accurate. Holy <laughs> shit. Yeah. So, uh, Barry, the next subject matter uh, titled uh, Harry Palms involves masturbation. <clears throat> Why don't we just skip right over that segment, uh, Barry? All right. Sure. Uh, anyway, although I will mention that according to Harvard Medical Study, regular masturbation when you're over 40 can lower a man's risk of prostate cancer. Barry, how's your prostate? <clears throat> so. Yeah, my prostate's doing okay. I've uh, I well, I think I think we know the answer to the follow-up question. Then uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. Doctor Kellogg introduced Kellogg's cornflakes in hopes that it would reduce masturbation. What? Yes, graham crackers were also intended to treat and prevent masturbation. How's that? How how is? How I is that? don't know. Uh, this is again just according to studies. Uh, according to the Height Report, candles are the artificial device used most frequently by women when masturbating. It's not your uh, your cucumber, uh, as uh, you know the jokes usually are. So uh, yeah, candles, Barry. So I, and I bring this up. I was at a a live art performance in New York in 1994. Server or manager. Manager. And thank you. I that was for you, Chris Biker, and. There were two, there was, I forget what it was called, but there's the center for new art or something. One was a guy, Bob Flanagan was his name. He had cystic fibrosis and decided that he would become living art and he would like uh, chain himself with hooks through his skin up on walls. Ooh. And it was very bizarre. And he had a death sentence, cystic fibrosis, especially back in those days. You know, you weren't going to live to be 90 years old with that. So this was his way of fighting through the pain with pain. I think that's what is the, the slogan was, fighting pain with pain. So that was interesting. But the second was there was a sex therapist who put candles in her vagina and lit them. And I got to tell you, I've the, seen the I've seen the ping pong ball trick, uh, maybe once. Oh twice, yeah, yeah. Video, but uh, then not the candle uh, being lit. That's the old Easy Ed Wiskowski, if you remember, Paul Paul Jones. Second reference to Paul Jones in this episode. Paul Jones. We, you know, we have sexual trivia and wrestling tied into it, along with a discussion of Kenjite, forbidden subject. <laughs> Please and continue, Bear. Paul Jones told a story once where he was over uh, the apartment. This would have been 1972, and I think it was he, Jack Briscoe, and Easy Ed Wiskowski was there. And there was a young woman that came over the house and was able to do the ping pong ball trick. And Wiskowski apparently fell in love with her. Uh, he, well, I mean, you know, who wouldn't at that point? Right? You know, so uh, 
Uh, okay, Barry, wrapping up this segment. <clears throat> Barry, tell me, if you were to guess, what country would this study show are people most likely to use vibrators? There are three countries listed. Give me one of them. Uh, and conventional wisdom says United States, but no. Yeah, that's what I figure. If you're asking, that's not the case. That's on you. I'm going to say the United Kingdom. That's one of them. Very, I'm going to give you a round of applause. All right, that. I'll yeah. take it. Vibrator, sex toys, dildos. The France would be the second uh, country. Wrong. Oh, all right. I'm going to stop that. I'm just Iceland and Norway. Oh, okay. Oh, Nordic. it's those Nordic countries. It's cold up there, Barry. They need something to do. Let's switch on. Make sure we got the batteries finely tuned and we're ready to go. Barry, we've rounded the corner. We're heading for home. I can look. I'm looking. I don't see the finish line. You know what I see? I see the hotel in Lutz, Florida. It's Fan Fest week. We're looking forward to seeing you all. Barry, you ready for the old go home, my friend? Yes, let's. Yep, let's go home. Let's do it. So on behalf of a Barry Rose, they call me sometimes uh, the booker, Jeff Bowdrin, and our producer, the sweet man out in the city by the bay, Lou Kippelman. Breaking Cafe with Bowdrin and Barry is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. We're out in 5,000.